One of the hardest things that happens to us as believers is when we face a difficult trial or a difficult circumstance is to get God's perspective on what is God doing in us? What is God doing in this circumstance? How is God leveraging this to, to help us? And in what we're gonna look at in this series, in the book of First Peter is we're gonna look at how do we get God's perspective on the trials that we face? How do we continue to stay strong, to stay leaned in to serving Jesus? Because the enemy of our souls wants trials to push us away from our faith in Christ, whereas God wants to use trials to strengthen our faith. And so we hope you enjoy this message today. And if you haven't yet, download our app. Go to nextsteps.me for any information you need and also, you can visit our website at thrivechurch.me. Now on to today's message. Good morning, Thrive Church. Man, it's great to be with you guys today. I know we can't gather physically, but isn't it awesome with technology that we can gather virtually, that we can actually together get to worship, we get to uh, hear God's word, we get to pray for each other. So I'm really stoked that you've joined us today. And if you're joining us uh, online today, and maybe you're new with us, we're actually in a series in the letter that Peter wrote, his first letter that he wrote to believers in the first century who were going, going under extreme persecution. Uh, they were facing extreme struggles. And so if you have your copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 as we close this series out today. Well, recently I was listening to a uh, very interesting podcast about anxiety. And what they said was they did a study of these monkeys who, um, you know, were a, a group of monkeys out in, in the jungle somewhere. I don't know a lot about monkeys, but that's where they were at, right? That's where monkeys usually are at. And they said as they studied the monkeys, they realized something that there were several of the monkeys that were just anxious. They were overly anxious about everything. So every time like a stick broke in the forest, like they were going, ah, 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 you know, that's my best monkey impression. And, 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 and all, all the other monkeys were getting riled up and then they would look and find out it was just a stick. And so they kept doing this over and over and they realized that these monkeys kept riling up the group. And at first it looked like a really bad thing, like, like these monkeys were actually causing anxiety to the group. But here's what the researchers did, and this was super, super fascinating. They removed these anxious monkeys from the group. So now when a stick broke, you had the other guys who were like, I don't care, ain't my problem. You know, they were just chilling. It didn't matter to them. And here's what happened to that group of monkeys. Sadly enough, within three months, the whole group was destroyed. Why was that? They had no one who was on alert about potential predators. And those predators actually infiltrated their group and destroyed their group because they didn't have this alertness about their enemy. Well, as we close out the series in the letter of 1 Peter, you're going to look at a very powerful point here. He actually shows the believers in the first century that we have an enemy as well. And if we let down our guard, spiritually, the same thing can happen to us that happened to those monkeys in the jungle. Now, if you're not, not very familiar with Peter or who he was or what he did, uh, Peter was one of Jesus' closest followers. He was the most outspoken guy, too. So he was the, the guy who was like, ready, fire, aim. That was him. He was the guy who cut a dude's ear off. Remember the night Jesus was betrayed and that happened? He cut somebody's ear off. Uh, so Peter was very outspoken. He was uh, one of Jesus' first followers. But one thing about Peter was this. He denied Jesus. He told Jesus, I'll never leave you. Man, I've got your back, Pastor Jesus. You just wait, man. Nobody's going to separate us. And when Jesus is going to be crucified, 
What happened was Peter denied him, and as Jesus had told him he would three times, he even ended up cursing out a little young servant girl. She noticed that he had the same accent that like the Galileans had. It must be like a southern accent, right? She's like, you speak with that southern accent, don't you? Are you from Galilee? And he's like, no, 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 I'm not from Galilee. Like trying to change his voice and he cusses her out. And what happens is he watches his Lord and Savior go to be crucified. He leaves him and abandons him. And Peter goes back to fishing once again. And what happened to Peter in that time was when he saw the resurrected Jesus, when he saw Jesus rise from the dead, Peter ended up standing up to the same people who crucified Jesus, and he said, you can crucify me too. I'm telling you to repent as well. So Peter's life was transformed to the point that Peter ended up leading the first century church. He was the main vocal person. He was the one leading the charge. It was Peter to the Jews and Paul to the Gentiles. And so later on in Peter's ministry in his life, he writes this letter to believers who were living in the first century. And as the letter opens up, it's to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. There are many different places, and they're facing persecution. At this point, the persecution of Christianity has risen in that day and time. And believers are beginning to lose their lives or losing their jobs. Their families are being torn apart. And as I've said each week, you've got to think about this because we just zone out when we hear it. We don't think about what they faced in the first century and why this letter mattered so much. Matter of fact, you've got to realize that they would take Christians and feed them to lions in stadiums. And as I've said before in this series to kind of stoke your imagination to provoke your imagination. Could you imagine you and your family and the emperor saying, deny Christ or we throw you and the family to the lions. And you've got to look at your children and you've got to look at your wife and you've got to realize and say, guys, I love you and this will be our last day together. And you've got to watch your child eaten to death by a lion. That was what they were facing in the first century. They weren't facing the things that we face. They were facing persecution on a much higher level. And so Peter wrote this letter, and there's only one letter written at that time. They didn't have the Gutenberg Press, and they couldn't you know, mass copy things, or they couldn't hit the share button like you can, hopefully, with this sermon today. Just a shameful plug. Um, what they did was they had that letter, and they circulated it through the churches so the leader of that church, that group of believers, could read the whole letter to everyone that was there. And so in chapter 5, as Peter's closing out this first letter to all of these churches as the, as the leader of the first century church, he wants them to know the power of being aware and alert. And so if you have your copy of God's Word, look at 1 Peter in chapter 5, starting in verse 8. He says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. 
I have written and sent this short letter to you with the help of Silas, whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and to assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Just pause there for a second. Two of our messages dealt with trials and suffering. And we think trials and suffering are just an attack of the enemy. He says it's part of God's grace for you. That is mind-boggling when you have to actually understand, as we talked about, the power of embracing trials, right, and embracing suffering. And that's what he's challenging them to do. He says, stand firm in this grace. Your sister church here in Babylon sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet each other with a kiss of love. Peace be with all of you who are in Christ. Well, what Peter wants to do here is to help these believers to understand that their faith is on the line, that there's an enemy that wants to devour their faith. He's going after that. And so Peter tells them to stay alert and stay aware because they have an enemy that's, that's going around like a roaring lion that wants to devour them. As we look at this first century letter and we look at our life here in the 21st century, we've got to figure out, I know there's a big gap. I know we aren't facing what they, are, they were facing, but we still had the same problem that they had. And so if you have your, your notes handy as you're watching this, I want you to write this down. And here's today's big idea. Our enemy is searching for those who are spiritually asleep. Our enemy, Satan, is searching for those who are spiritually asleep. Now, you may be thinking as you're watching this, hey, man, I go to church. Well, maybe not right now. Hey, man, I serve at church. I give, bro. What are you talking about spiritually asleep? I'm woke, y'all. Like, you may be thinking that's where you're at. But understand that so many of us are actually sleeping. We're on autopilot in our faith, and we don't even realize it. And, and I would just submit to you that Satan maybe doesn't want to just you know, make you bad. Like he doesn't want you to go out and maybe smoke crack or, you know, or rob a bank. But he would love for you to just go on autopilot in your faith. To just go through the motions because you've been doing this for so long. And matter of fact, for us who have been in Christ a while, like I've been you know, following Jesus for 20 years now, which is crazy to me. The longer we end up following Jesus, the easier it is for this roaring line to go around and to devour our faith. So you may be thinking, man, I don't think I'm really spiritually asleep. I believe I'm, I'm pretty woke, right? Well, here's the thing. Here's what being spiritually asleep looks like. And, and the first one is this. You only see the natural world. If you're spiritually asleep, one of the aspects of that is you only, you only live with your natural eyes, this means you never understand there are spiritual enemies that you cannot see. And I've said this before, is that the world that you cannot see is more real than the world you can see. And so many of us are allowing a spiritual world to impact us, and we're not fighting back. And here's why. You're fight, you fight the wrong enemy. So like you're fighting your spouse, and you believe your spouse is the enemy. You're fighting your children. You're fighting other political parties. But you're not fighting your real enemy. You don't ever pause to think, I wonder if this disagreement, I wonder if this separation of relationship, I wonder if this anger, I wonder if this offense, I wonder if this situation could be a trap of the enemy who wants to devour me. But we don't think that way. We make the natural things more important than the spiritual things in our life. Matter of fact, I love when Elisha had the young servant boy who was with him. 
And the young servant guy looks out, and there's these, these enemies out there, this, this army. And he looks at the army, and he's like, hey, we're going to be devoured. Like, like, it's over for us. And Elisha prays this prayer, God, open his eyes. And when he did, when God opened this young man's eyes, he realized in the spiritual realms, he saw angels all around, that there were many more for him than who were against him. Some of us are asleep because we only see the natural world. We've never paused to say, I wonder if this spiritual enemy may be taking advantage of my life and devouring my faith. Here's a second aspect of those who are spiritually asleep. There is an absence of a true prayer life. There's an absence of a true prayer life. And here's what that means. If you surveyed your prayers, most of our prayers in America are about comfort. We're praying about ingrown toenails. We're praying about, you know, somebody's pinky surgery. We're praying about somebody's heart problem. They won't quit eating sugar and butter. And we're like, oh, please, we pray for the heart. Well, if they're not going to take care of it, why should God, right? And we pray for these things like they're just so, we pray for safety and just blessings. And we're so Americanized in our prayer life. We don't, most of us don't have a true prayer life. Let's just, let's just be honest. If you look at what you're really praying for, we pray for shallow things. Like where our prayers are just shallow. How many times have you paused to pray for open doors for the gospel every day? That you've prayed for revival for your community. That you're praying against the enemy in your life over your family. You're asking God to open the eyes of your children to the reality of Jesus Christ. When's the last time that you prayed for the fire of God to fill your family? We spend time wasting prayers on shallow things. Now those prayers, you can pray for those things and those aren't bad. But there's a depth of a prayer life where you get to the point, you start praying for things that will change nations, not just keep you from being comfortable in your life. Like I'm thankful, I'm going to be honest with you, for a grandmother who prayed. My grandmother didn't pray shallow prayers. Matter of fact, I'm going to be honest, I was scared to actually pray with my grandma after I got saved. She was one of those ladies who touched heaven when she prayed, right? And so she told me, she said, son, I would watch your little white Honda Prelude pull out of the driveway and go out day in and day out. And I knew you, that you were doing, you know, just godless and ungodly stuff. She says, but I pleaded the blood of Jesus over you. Son, I prayed protection over you. I prayed the anointing of God over you. She said, I went down to my knees and cried out to heaven for you. I'm going to tell you something. I am thankful for a grandmother who was focused on, on the things of the spiritual realm, who prayed not just keep them comfortable, God, make them safe, Lord, but prayed that the anointing of God would change my life. And so some of us are spiritually asleep because our prayer life is so shallow. Like we're just praying for blessings in the shower. That's all we're doing in the mornings. But it hasn't gone past that. Uh, the next one is this. It's material blessings take precedence over the eternal so like material blessings in your life, that's, that's what you believe is being blessed. If you go to a third or second world country and you come back and your only takeaway is, wow, we're really blessed, and those poor jokers over there don't have what I have, then you, again, have been lulled to fall spiritually asleep. Because the greatest blessings in our life are not possessions. Again, that's shallowness. It's the eternal blessings 
It's understanding the impact that we're making for the gospel. It's leaving a legacy of the gospel behind us. It's leading people to Jesus. It's favor is not for you to get the front row parking spot. Favor is not for you just to get a promotion. Favor is not just for you to get more money. Favors for God to use your life and leverage your life in such a way that one day when you go on to be with Jesus, there are people lining up to thank you for what God has done through your life. But again, we're lulled to sleep and our enemy wants to devour us in our life. You, you may wonder why I'm passionate about this message as a pastor. It's the hardest thing ever to watch people get lulled to sleep. It's the hardest thing ever to watch people get devoured in their faith. I remember the story, uh, and when I first really experienced this, it broke my heart. I was serving as a student ministries pastor, and I'll call this guy John. And John was a young man who's a, who's a teenager, and John began to lead worship, and John began to actually teach and preach, and I mentored John personally. I spent time with him. Man, we walked the floors of that church and prayed together. We put music on and just prayed with other teens, and I just poured my life into John, and he had a great anointing on him. But the church went through a lot of trouble. And his grandfather, who was one of the major deacons there, began to rail against what we were doing. He didn't like the church becoming multicultural. He didn't like this contemporary music. Um, he didn't like what was happening in the student ministry. And so he, he literally tore the church apart. And John had to make a decision. Do I go with what God's calling me to do and what I'm doing here with this ministry, or do I abandon my family for this? Do I disown my grandfather? Do I have to disrespect him for the gospel? And sadly enough, John decided that I'm going to abandon the gospel. Matter of fact, it got worse than that. He ended up becoming addicted to crack cocaine. And John, to this day, has never, has never followed Jesus again. John's faith was devoured, and it broke my heart because there was nothing I could do about it. I want to tell you today, you're sitting here thinking, wow, that's a sad story. Well, pfft. I'm not smoking cracks. So I guess I'm awake. Here's where it is for you. Let me just say this today. You're not being lulled to sleep by something that looks outwardly destructive. You're being lulled to sleep by something that's inwardly comforting. What the enemy loves to do in America is he wants to entice you with pleasure, comfort, and convenience. He wants you to choose the easiest way. He wants you to give up on pursuing purpose. He wants you to be enticed with very, very nice pleasures. When I say pleasures, I don't mean evil things. I mean he wants you to pursue the American dream instead of God's dream for your life. And that's how many of us are falling asleep. That's how the enemy is devouring many of us. And my heart for you is that you, with this message today and the rest of this week, would have God search your heart and say, God, where am I asleep? Where have I just put it on cruise control? Maybe it's in studying the word of God and maybe you don't really lean into the word of God. Maybe there is no prayer life. Maybe you don't worship the Lord. Maybe you aren't leveraging your life or even your financial resources for the kingdom. Maybe you aren't discipling your children. I don't know where it's at for you. But I do know this, every one of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, we have this tendency to put it on cruise control. We have this tendency to not be aware of our enemy. And I like what Paul said to a church in Ephesus. So uh, in this church in Ephesus, Paul writes to them in chapter 5 of Ephesians. And you can look at verse 14. He writes to a church that's in a very pagan community. 
Ephesus was all about the goddess uh, Artemis, Diana. The whole economy was built on this. And when people began to give their lives to Jesus, they had to actually leave not only the goddess and the pagan lifestyle they live, that, that they live, but they had to lose so much to follow Jesus. But here's what started happening in that church with those believers. They began to say, you know what? I'll follow Jesus and still live my pagan lifestyle. I'll still per, uh, pursue pleasure. I'll still pursue comfort. I'll still pursue all these things. And so you read chapter 5. He's saying that's not the way you should live for Christ. That's not the goal. And then he says something to them right in the middle of that chapter. And here's what he says. He says, this is why it is said, awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead and Christ will give you light. And he was not writing to non-believers. He was writing to believers who have been lulled to sleep by their culture, by the pleasures of their culture, by the convenience of their culture. And I think if Paul could write to us today, he would say the same thing to us. To awake and let Christ shine light in those areas where maybe you have fallen asleep. And can I be honest with you? You may think as a pastor it's easy for me. But as I watch the landscape of Christianity around America, I have watched many spiritual leaders and many churches fall asleep. You know why? Because they are lulled to sleep by pleasures. I have been the same way and I still battle that. We start pursuing numbers and accolades and what conference can I preach at and how big is my church and it's bigger than your church and we've got a lot of money and man, this is just great. And even churches and pastors are susceptible to this. And if they are, then you know you are as well. And I have battled that over and over and over again. And my prayer this week for me has been, as I've been processing and praying through this message, is God, shine light on areas where I need your light, God, where the enemy is lulling me to sleep. So here's what we have to do. And again, if you're taking notes, write this down. Here's our action step is this. To keep your faith from being devoured, you have to be awake and alert spiritually. You have to be awake and alert spiritually. If not, your faith will be devoured. And that's the thing that Jesus prayed for Peter. He looked at Peter and said, Peter, I pray that, pray that your faith fail you not. And what happened to Peter, Peter's faith? It did fail for a moment, but then he came back stronger than ever. And my prayer for you is that you would protect the greatest gift you have, which is your faith. Stay awake and stay alert. And here are three things that I've written down that I want to share with you. These are three things that have helped me in my journey in trying to stay awake, even as a pastor, stand alert is this right here. The first is this. How do I wake up from my sleeping faith? And the first point is this. Remember the beauty of being rescued. Every time we open the doors at Thrive, I want you to hear the gospel. I am way too convinced that we are inundated with messages filled with seven ways to be prosperous, four ways to overcome fear, three ways to deal with anxiety, five ways to keep your kids' rooms clean. Like, we have all these self-help sermons all the time, but you know the greatest help you'll ever have is reminding yourself of the finished work of Jesus Christ and reminding yourself that you've been rescued. That The beauty of the gospel is, is that you didn't do this on your own. You didn't choose to join Christianity. God chose you. 
And one of the things that keeps me awake spiritually is every morning pausing and saying, God, 20 years ago, you rescued me from the grave, the spiritual grave. 20 years ago, God, I was a nothing and a nobody who was addicted to alcohol and drugs. And I was you know, kicked out of a university, had no purpose in life. You had no reason to choose me. I have no reason to be here. I have no reason to have this family in my, and, and this church. But God chose me and God rescued me. The only thing I brought to God was sin and then I believed. That's the only thing I brought. And I believe we have missed the beauty of the gospel in our country, people, people love church, and people love musical worship, and people love good old preaching. But my fear is we love those things, but we've lost our love for Jesus. Pastors love their church. I love my church. But do I really love Jesus more than anything else? Is that, is that what's keeping me anchored to all that I do? I was rescued from the grave. God chose me when I had nothing to give him. If you remind yourself of that daily, your life will be changed. Here's the, the, the second way that you can stay awake. It's remind yourself that you're on mission daily. Not only remember the beauty of being rescued, but remind yourself that you're living on mission daily. See, God delivers you to deploy you. God doesn't save you just to make you feel good and get rid of all the bad things in life that you don't like. He doesn't save you just to give you blessings and to give you cool things and make you feel good in a good church community. God redeems you. God delivers you to deploy you to a community that desperately needs you. And you'll be awake and alert when you're able to live your life daily, understanding your own mission. Some of us are so consumed with ourselves. We're just so narcissistic that we go into uh, the stores or, the, or we get food at a restaurant and we don't think twice about the person waiting on us. We don't think twice about the people around us. We don't think twice about our neighbors. And some of you around, you're probably your neighbors a lot with kids playing in the street, hanging out and doing all that. Are you praying for them? Are you asking God for open doors for the gospel to share the gospel of Jesus with them? When you understand that you're living on mission, your life will be radically transformed because you realize that you're living for something greater than yourself. You're part of a bigger story that the Lord is writing for generations. And I thank God for those people 20 years ago who lived on mission, who saw me as the mission field. They never took a mission trip, but they saw me as a mission field. They saw themselves as a missionary. And a matter of fact, the reason we say this all the time is this is one of the four key values of Thrive Church. And living on mission is one of them. Our communities, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, your family desperately needs you to live on mission. And if you keep that mindset, you will stay awake and you'll stay alert spiritually because you'll realize every day is an adventure and you're praying for that. And finally this morning, here's what you have to do. If you're going to wake up from your sleeping faith, you've got to resist sin instead of giving in. Did you like that, how that rhymed there, a little Dr. Seuss stuff there for you on Sunday morning? Resist sin instead of giving in. Now, I said that word sin, you may think, oh, man, yeah, resist sin. You resist those needles in your arms, which you should, right? Don't you yeah. uh, resist that crack cocaine? Yeah, and you should. And, uh, yeah, you need to resist that bottle, and yeah, you should. But, but you got to think about sin is, 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 here's what sin is. As I prayed about this and thought about this, 
Sin is this, okay, so God has a design for human flourishing. Think about like, you know, for, for marriage. God wants marriages to flourish, and he's outlined in Scripture how marriage can flourish. He's already outlined that. God has a design for your finances to flourish, to leverage them for the kingdom. God has a design for friendships, relationships, for, for church. Everything you can think of, God has designed a way for us to flourish in his kingdom with that. You know what sin is? Sin is resisting God's design for that and choosing your own path that pleases only yourself. God's design will not only give you pleasure at his right hand or pleasures forevermore, right? But here's what else. Not only will it give you pleasures, but it pleases the heart of God. I mean, think about it. God created sex. You're like, oh, bad word. He created it for the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. It's beautiful in marriage. God created it. He wanted you to enjoy it. But here's what sin is. Sin is when then we take that and choose to do our own thing outside of God's box of design for flourishing with it. And that can be applied to anything. So in your life right now, whatever that is for you, if anger is destroying your relationships, resist that. If there is an addiction to pornography, if there is an addiction to something in your life that's destroying intimacy in your marriage, resist that. If there's uh, something in your life that's causing you to thwart God's purposes for your life, resist that. I don't know what it is for you, but resist it. And if you're watching this morning and you're saying, man, I am struggling, Kevin, you just don't understand. Maybe you're struggling with overeating. Maybe you are struggling with something deeper than that. Maybe it is anger. Maybe it's uh, something that, that you're scared to tell somebody about, and you're saying, I'm just struggling, and I know God's mad at me. God's not mad with you if you're struggling. Matter of fact, struggle is a proof that you've not yet been conquered. And so if you're struggling with something, understand that's a good thing, that you're struggling against that. And you know what? God wants to help you with it. He wants you to resist it more than you even do. And when you call out to him, he's going to help you. So this morning, I'm not sure as you're watching this, but you have kind of been awake and saying, man, I, I've been sleeping on this area. I've been spiritually asleep. I'm not sure where that is for you. But I do know this, that God wants to help you with it. And God wants to empower you in those areas that you feel like you have fallen asleep, that you've been lulled to sleep by the enemy. My prayer is for you that God would wake you up this week, that God would just fire you up this week, that he would do something in your heart for you to say, I'm done with autopilot. I'm done with going through the motions. It is time for me to live for Christ. And you know what? It's going to take the help of God. So this morning, I want to pray for all of you watching online today. I want to just pray for God to speak to your heart this morning. If you will, would you pray with me this morning? Father, we ask that you would wake us up. We ask in the name of Jesus that you would help us, God, to be awakened in the areas we need to live for you. Show us where we're going through the motions. Show us where we've fallen asleep. Show us those areas, God, where we're allowing the enemy to devour our faith. And God, I pray more than anything that we would be alert and we would be awake, God, as we live for you, that you would awaken our souls, that Christ would give us light, and we would live for you, Lord. I pray that for everyone that is watching today. And today, let me say this. If you're watching here online and you want to give your life to Christ, maybe you understand you walked away from your faith. Maybe you allowed the enemy to devour you and, and you, you have the story of walking away. Let me just say this to you. It's simple to give your life to Christ. Matter of fact, 
it's this simple. You can make a confession of faith. You can say a prayer, but really you, you can confess. You confess, number one, that you say, Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit I can't save myself. That my works will not get me into heaven. And then you say this. You say, God, I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe that he rose from the dead. I believe that he sits at the right hand of God. And today, I surrender my life to Jesus. I confess Jesus is Lord. I repent and turn away from my old life. And I receive new life. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you, God, for redeeming me. If you make, you can say that anywhere, watching this here, by your bedside, it's that simple. And if you made that decision today, we're going to have next steps for you. But guys, I'm praying for all of you this week. I'm praying for the virus and everything that's happening. And I am lifting you up daily. Thank you.